unnecessarily hostile back up in your unemployment line. The sound of that panting is not me, that is my dog, Curly, who wants attention. So do I, I guess. I'm a podcaster. I need I need fucking attention, okay? <laughs> I can't just sit around the house and be still. I have to get on the phone and talk to the internet. Um, I, yeah, I'm... I think I just worked my last day at this job. I, I it's a plastics factory, and it is a play a building that was opened in the early '60s, and I don't think the floor has been mopped since. It's one of those places that is uh, completely stuck in time. Like when I walk through the front door, it feels like the day Kennedy got assassinated. It's one of those buildings. It has its charm. And it got me through the winter. In fact, I've worked at this place a few times on and off throughout my young adult years. Uh, and I just I just feel like it's time for me to step uh, away. <laughs> uh, which is not new because I've quit 30 jobs and I'm only in my 30s. So uh, quitting a job is nothing new to me. I, I kind of know when it's going to happen. I kind of know at this point when I'm going to leave employment. I'm going to leave the workforce. I'm going to shit on any idea of empty careerism. Everything's a paycheck. I don't want to sit around for fucking years and answer emails, but I, I didn't have to at this job. It just got me through, it was just cash through the winter. You know, and it, I mean, it's not my favorite job. My favorite job was probably five years ago. I worked at a, as, a, as a doorman at the Brave New Workshop in Minneapolis. This is the uh, school of improvisation training, much like Second City in uh, Chicago or uh, the Groundlings in L.A. Not as well known, but it's the one we have in this city. And I worked there as a doorman when I was in my last year of college. I worked at the school, uh, not the theater. There's two different buildings. So I was a doorman at the school. My job was simple. I would get there a half hour before classes would start. I would open up the building, let in the classmates, and then for the next two hours while the classes were going on, I would do nothing. <laughs> it was the easiest thing ever. I uh, the, first, the first day I worked, I think I swept a floor for two hours, and then <laughs> I went into work the next day, and a cleaning crew had left a bill because they came in and swept the floor, so I realized I didn't have to do that. So I literally had two hours of nothing to do until the classes were done, in which case I would let out the students, lock up the building, and leave. And so in those two hours, what I would do is uh, smoke. That was it. <laughs> and I had quit smoking years before this. Uh, but uh, I had made a student film while in college where my character had to smoke a cigarette. And as soon as I finished having that cigarette for the film and we, we wrapped up the filming, I turned to the girl that bummed me a smoke and I said, hey, can I get another one? And the addiction was full, full, full force back. I was fucking a smoker again. And that lasted a year or six months or something. And at that time, that's when I was a doorman, so I used to stand on Hennepin Avenue, the main street of, uh, you know, downtown Minneapolis, in the theater district, and I used to smoke with the bums. <laughs> I used to smoke with the homeless people, got to know their names, got to uh, uh, listen to them talk. I, 
nothing important ever happened. It was never a, a good time. It was just a lot of mental illness and stress and anxiety that I was uh, witnessing from afar. But, uh, you know, that's that's the, the reality of, this, of the downtown streets. I mean, somebody got shot when I was at work. I mean, like two in the afternoon, I was... Uh, Classes were going on. I think I was cleaning a bathroom, and somebody got shot across the street. You know, I mean, two in the afternoon. It's a, can you at least wait until dusk before you start the murdering, please, while I'm at work? Can you at least wait until a reasonable hour before you start murdering people across the street from my building? But, no, nah, that's the reality. So, yeah, I, I used to sit around and smoke, and I would either smoke on the street... Or I would take the elevator up to the rooftop, which is about four or five stories up, and I used to smoke on the rooftop. And uh, and if I wasn't smoking, the other thing I would do is I would go into the basement and I would masturbate. <laughs> because I didn't know what else to do with my time other than look at porn on my phone and touch myself inappropriately <laughs> at work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know i mean i went i went into the downstairs basement where nobody was and I, and the basement was uh, the basement was uh there was a couple that owned the brave new workshop at the time they've since sold it but the basement was this kind of off-limits place and it was turned into like they some kind of like uh, a party room or something and then there was a private bathroom for the owners <laughs> And that's where I used to go. But not always. Sometimes, uh, let's. there were about three different floors for classrooms. And sometimes, if there was a, a, an empty floor that wasn't being used for a classroom, I would use that floor to go masturbate in. <laughs> it, it shouldn't be funny, but it is. Uh, <laughs> because it's so fucking atrocious my behavior my like i don't know i mean it was, i was in a i was in an improv comedy world and the louis ck part of my brain says let's go masturbate where we can maybe get caught i don't know what i was thinking i was in film school with a bunch of porn addicts making films and if we had lived in la we would all be working in porn now but we weren't so we just made comedy films about masturbating which i've have somewhere online uh <laughs> i don't know so one time let's say floors two and three were being used for classrooms uh so i i, <laughs> I went to the first floor thinking well maybe i'll just go masturbate on the first floor classroom floor and as soon as i got off the elevator i saw two minneapolis police I had not expected to see them at all. I didn't know what they were doing there. I come to find out that the owners had allowed the police to use their building as a lookout uh, for the First Avenue parking lot, which was across the street. First Avenue, the music nightclub made famous by Prince in the movie Purple Rain. We were directly across the street on the other side of Hennepin. And, um, yeah, they, they would use that as a perch. Now... Side note, when I say I would, <laughs> why am I outing myself? When I, when I said I would use these floors to masturbate, I didn't use that, the floors as a perch. I didn't like 
peeping Tom myself looking out the window like, oh, look at her on the sidewalk. Yeah, girl. And then I would, I wasn't jerking off to real people. I was using my phone privately like a civilized adult watching threesome anal sex. You know, I mean, I was being humble <laughs> in that way. <laughs> I wasn't being a, a, a total creep. I was being a creep privately, somewhat, sort of. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but I, this one day, yeah, I walk into the uh, the first floor room, and I see two Minneapolis cops there, and I the only thing I could think of was, thank God they got there before I did. Could you imagine if I were to be jerking off in a uh, at work and two cops walked in? <laughs> Minneapolis cops. By the way, this was in the year 2017 or something. This was way before uh, uh, the riots and everything. I don't know who these cops were. One of them could have been Derek Chauvin. Could you imagine if I was masturbating at work and Derek Chauvin walked in? <laughs> what would his reaction be <laughs> to me choking my dick? I don't know. If he would have fucking, uh, oh boy, I, I don't know. I don't know what that guy would have done. He might have sucked it as he's doing now in prison. Maybe not. I hope not. I don't, I don't want Minneapolis cops sucking my cock. I don't, unless it's a good looking girl and I'm into it, but that's what I'm into sometimes. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I'm into fucking cops sometimes. As in, I've never done it, but I've seen some videos. I need to stop talking. Oh, God. I don't know what I'm doing in life, ever, at all. I shouldn't. You don't listen to me for any role model reasons. If you're a young person, please go listen to a neurobiologist on YouTube. Describe how to get motivated. Don't listen to a rando YouTube. Not YouTuber, podcaster, talking about jerking off at work and giggling about it. Because I'm not a good person to... Uh, can you tell that I'm single? Does that is that coming through the audio pretty well? Can you tell that I don't have a woman in my life correcting my bad behavior? <laughs> that it's gone on for far too long? Uh, oh, God. <laughs> but, all being said... The Brave New Workshop was my favorite job <laughs> for those reasons. Now, here's an odd thing. I didn't grow up in Minneapolis. I didn't even grow up in the city or even the suburbs. I didn't even grow up in Minnesota. I grew up in a uh, small cornfield town of population less than a thousand people in nowhere, Wisconsin. Uh, and the town was so small, they had to form like three of our, our towns and satellite townships as well as a, a native american reservation just to get like one school together right. it was a very uh very tucked away world now at the time i was a doorman at the brave new workshop uh clown school um a girl i went to high school with was bartending at the theater and this was across the street uh, crossed Hennepin and 8th Avenue. And um, I didn't know that she was there. I didn't find out until years later. We didn't run into each other at that time. I ended up talking to her years later, and then she told me, like, did you know I worked at the... I was a bartender at the theater. 
you know, and I thought that was really weird. I, I mean, part of me thinks that maybe she, because I was posting online all sorts of shit about I'm in the, you know, I'm in the improv world. I work at the, the, the BNW. Part of me thinks that maybe she got a job as a bartender there because she was pursuing me in some kind of sleepless in Seattle rom-com way. But I've yet to confirm that. So it could have just been a freak coincidence of some kind. Could you imagine if she... (laughs) If for some reason she was sent over to the school building while I was working for some reason and it happened to stumble upon me. (laughs) Could you imagine if I was masturbating at work in Minneapolis and a girl from my fucking hillbilly high school walked in and caught me? (laughs) I would be so unprepared for that moment, but it seems like such a good fantasy I think as soon as I'm done podcasting, I will go masturbate about it, because that, that's a Harlequin novel. <laughs> so, I don't know. I Listen, the only reason I'm saying all this shit is because I'm at a different stage in life. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I just quit a job that I didn't masturbate once at this last job, okay? Or the job before that, or the job before that. This was just a weird part of my life where I was uh, in college and in comedy and in film and everybody I was making films with was just a sex pervert addict. And we were all coming of age. I think we'd all grown up that way and we'd all met each other. All my film school uh, classmates, we'd all met each other and realized that we all kind of grew up porn addicts. And that was just the place in our minds that, that, and it was, it was a weird time. I don't know. <laughs> so take from it what you will, but uh, yeah, I've since kind of grown as a person a bit, I guess, to the point where I, I now regret things I, I used to not regret. Like, for instance, in my last podcast, I said a couple of things that I didn't uh, like about myself for saying that, um, well, okay. I said, I mean, I said the word cunt once. I'm okay with the way I said the word cunt. And uh, I also said faggot a couple of times. And it's not the first time I've said faggot on this podcast. Because uh, uh, I say everything. Because I, I grew up with a George Carlin sense of language that all language is, you know, uh, you know can, any, anything can be said depending on the context. And that, you know, censoring language is stupid. Still believe in all that fully. And uh, usually when I say things like faggot or cunt, I usually say it for a reason of, I'm either trying to be goofy or or I'm just, I'm in a Gino Bisconte way of just trying to attack you with a joke, but it's humor, and humor is allowed in a world that isn't, uh, you know, ran by fascists. (laughs) So that's the reason I say shit, but, you know, and it's not like I have a wide audience to, to that listens to me on every fucking podcast I do I'm not I'm not doing this in, in some kind of uh, I'm not trying to like fucking apologize to anybody because it's it, I'm doing this for my sake I'm saying th- the last show I did I said the word faggot a couple of times out of pure anger there was not any kind of entertainment value in it 
And I don't like the way I, I, I said it. As soon as I was done, and uh, for the next day or two I was thinking about it, I thought, that was dumb. <laughs> that was dumb. Because I don't know who listens to this shit. And I don't know what you think. And I know, being a dumb person myself, who, <laughs> when I, especially when I was young, <laughs> not that I am not haven't been dumb and making dumb decisions the last few years, but I just know that sometimes, uh, like, everybody wants permission to misbehave, and as, as, and some of us are just so fucking stupid that people don't understand, even when there is context to things, sometimes people take it the wrong way and shit, and I don't want to be somebody that emboldens people to go fucking gay bash or whatever, or be angry, that's not the whole, that's not the reason that I, I believe in the liberal concept of free speech or whatever. I believe that, you know, I believe in it for other reasons and that, you know, everything should be discussed. Um, otherwise, bad ideas start a brewing. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way I said it, I didn't, I just fucking regret because I'm just like, oh God, there could be some fucking teenage kid that hears that and decides that he's just gonna he's gonna take on that attitude that i had that they're gonna and, and i don't fucking know i just i feel stupid i feel dumb a lot in my life and uh yeah i i'm not somebody who has been immune from saying stupid things out of anger trust me i'm a blackout alcoholic <laughs> or brownout alcoholic one of the two and I've said pretty much everything in anger. And I will tell you from life experience, kiddos, that shit don't help you. That shit don't, it, all it does is alienate you from people. So, uh, watch your fucking mouth. Because you will get punched in the mouth eventually. I have before. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, there's always a possibility that I could again. I'm just wise enough to know that now. That if, you know, so, I don't know, I'm not going to sit here and fucking whip myself with the cat o' nine tails forever about it, but I think I just got to quit podcasting, because I think I suck at this still after three years. I think what I came here and started podcasting for three years ago, everything I wanted, I think I, I fucking got, you know, I'm at the point now where I can just blab endlessly for three hours, I'm not you know, fighting for, uh, 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 content or something. I mean, I'm fighting myself to be, uh, engaging and, uh, entertaining. Those two things aren't happening. I don't think that, that comes with writing and I don't do any of that, <laughs> but, but I've learned how to fucking, uh, talk a bit. So that's all I'm doing here. All right, I'm going to move on to a, a what's called a subject now. Now, instead of uh, just endlessly talking out of my asshole, I am going to talk about a subject. <laughs> Hopefully, that will help pick up steam here, because I'm already starting to bore myself. I, last night, I watched a DVD of my basic military training. Um... I, I was in the Air Force, and I, I went in in 2010, I got out in 2014, and that's been eight, 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 nine years now since I've been out, so I was in for four years, I've been out twice as long, and I've talked about it a, a bit before, and, you know, I've got all sorts of pictures and shit online, so I'm, you know, it's not like this has been something I haven't fucking discussed, but, um... 
it, it was weird for me to go back into this basic training video uh, because I'm such an outsider from that world now. I've been away from it for so long that I felt like I was watching a different like uh, person or something. I mean, here's the thing. I wasn't even in the video much. There were cameras going around taking videos and pictures while I was there, but I don't remember them being around a lot. So that shows up in the video. This video itself, there's, there's, I'm in, the, I'm in maybe two shots out of this hour long video. The camera sweeps past me maybe twice. So, um, and it's not a good video. Like <laughs> if you've ever been through basic training and you've bought one of these things, you realize well, the reason they make these things is so that you have something to send home to mom, something that you can send home to family to make them proud now that you're doing something with your life as opposed to the stupid shit you were doing as a teenager, i.e. drugs and alcohol, because you're American. That's what you do, teenage dumb fuck. So you end up joining the military. <laughs> In fact... The question, why did you join? That comes up so much. Uh, and it show, from the first five minutes you're in a recruiter's office till, I mean, literally I was at a fucking a corporate job two years ago and I decided to join up with some kind of veterans power hour over Skype or, or Zoom or something uh, as a way to kill an hour of work, I, I decided I was just going to join this thing. And the entire time, all they did was pass around the, the Zoom microphone or whatever and just asked everybody, so tell us, why did you join? <laughs> and how did it impact your life? It's the one question you'll never escape from if you do join. And I imagine... I'm probably going to call this podcast like Basic Training Air Force or something. So if you've clicked on a rando podcast and you've stuck with it this long through all my stupid masturbation stories, you you might want to know what you're getting into. Maybe. I don't know. I'll try to tell you what it's what it was like for me. Uh, <laughs> but as much as I can remember, I mean, that was kind of the reason I watched that video last night is because I don't remember a lot. And that video is not a good example of what basic training is like, because it's very plot heavy, meaning in a dramatic sense, uh, the, the one mistake that young dramatists make, you know, young Shakespeare types or whatever, young writers or whatever is just or bad writing in general it's is usually plot heavy it's usually a series of events you know uh you know oh here we are in a dentist office oh now we're in a street taking a cab and now we're on top of the empire state building and now we're on a boat you know and it's just like that that's almost scenery to describe things in that way, and if you've ever listened to anybody tell a story through just pure plot, uh, it's boring, because that's not the way we here in the 1990s describe stories. Stories that are good uh, are almost always character-driven. Plot is important, yes, a series of what happens, and um, but the cause and effect that make stories worth telling and worth listening to and worth your dollar at the box office are always told, the good ones are always told from characters. 
And that does not come across at all in this basic training video. It's just a kind of a a mismatch of a plot of a series of, you know, what we did each week. It's like, yes, we went to uh, get uniforms issued to us. Then we fought each other with pugle sticks or something for like American gladiators for some reason. Then we had an obstacle course. Then we got gassed in a gas chamber. Then we went and played in this fucking uh, field for a week in, in tents and got bit by scorpions and shit. Yeah, that, that all happened. But it's not really that interesting because it's <laughs> because those are just uh, those aren't the stories. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you my tale if, if it has any value to you. Here it is. Uh, why did I join? I was a drunk. I was a fucking drunk, and I couldn't hold a job, and I uh, couldn't pay. I was paying rent on a credit card, and I was in my twenties. And I had no want or desire to ever join the military. I was pretty anti-war uh, already at that point because we were a couple of years into the uh, the war on terror in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I, I was, you know, I was on the burnout musician side of that equation. I was, uh, I was listening to System of a Down. You know, we're gonna we're gonna fight the power or whatever the fuck. You know. So, but I ended up joining. So, am I a hypocrite? Yep. Uh, is that surprising to you? Well, if it is, good morning. Hello. Welcome to the world. People are hypocrites. <laughs> so, so I end up joining because I, uh, at that point in my life, I'm just floating through life. Here's how fucking sad my life was. Now, this was in, now I went to the recruiter in 2009 light years light years light years before any of the uh the the conversations that we are now having in the the public arena started happening with uh you know trans people and uh you know wokeness or whatever the fuck that political correctness is being called now none of that was happening quite yet it was it was oh god it was just a weird world it was it's almost ancient in a way we had only been on the internet a few years. <laughs> None of that was going. I don't even think gay marriage had passed yet. That was still like an argument in the late night cable news. So, uh, but here's what where I was. I had destroyed myself with alcohol so much <laughs> that I was basically I had looked androgynous. <laughs> And I know this uh, from some feedback I got. I, w I had returned to my old high school a few years after I had graduated for another graduation of a family member. And after the graduation, I couldn't wait to get out of the building. So I, you know, I, I stormed through the crowd to get out the front door. And I guess everybody else had at that point, too, because the, the, the entire front door was like just fucking sardine canned. And so I had to like wade through a crowd. And as, as I was slipping through these people, there were two young high school boys who I had never recognized, but they were both staring at me. And then as soon as I passed by them, I could hear from behind me uh, them talking. And one of them said to the other, was that a boy or was that a girl? <laughs> So, which at that time we we didn't call transphobic. We just called curiosity. 
<laughs> and uh, that's when I realized I had some changing to do in my life, or I don't know if it dawned on me then, but that was, that was, I, had, I, was I was such a pale, fat blob of nothingness. There'd, I didn't look like I had any testosterone in my body, and I just, I was slowly becoming jello, and I was disgusting looking. That was me. That's me talking about myself. Uh, I'm not implying that that's how anybody else looks. I'm not trying to pick fights here. I'm just saying that was the feeling I had in my body. So I ended up joining the uh, fucking military and doing a bunch of push-ups and shit and, you know, building shoulders. So that kind of helped me out. All right, here's here's the basic training story. So I've, I started fucking up even before I even got to San Antonio. Uh... I showed up to the military entrance program something, MEPS, whatever it's called. And, uh, yeah, there was about 10 of us from Minneapolis that were going to San Antonio. And so one of us was given, like, an envelope or a folder with all of our paperwork that we were to hand over to the, the Air Force people after we get to San Antonio. Wasn't me. I was not put in charge of that. Somebody else was, and that person was basically the leader who we had to follow in a game of follow the leader through the airport. (laughs) And before we even got to the fucking uh, airplane, I had already lost the group uh, because I wanted to go into a bookstore and buy a Sean Hannity book, which had just gone on sale that day. (laughs) I don't know what the fuck I was doing with my life, why I was 20 years old and reading Sean Hannity books like I was a fucking boomer, but uh, that's what I was That's what I was doing. Uh, the only other thing I remember about that day is I think that was the day that Shawn Michaels retired from wrestling, so that was like that weekend uh, of time, and I remember watching that on TV the night before, thinking, oh, the sexy boy is gone. He's going home to San Antonio. Maybe I'll see him in the airport. And then I was fantasizing to myself about Shawn Michaels. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but anyway, so I got myself lost at the airport, and then the rest of the group, we're all still civilians at this point. They were kind of razzing me about it, like, bro, that ain't cool, dude. Their attitudes changed as they got to know me throughout the weeks. Uh, but at this point, it was still kind of lighthearted, like, oh, dude, you're getting a Sean Hannity book? You're weird. <laughs> uh, so we fly to San Antonio. We get to the San Antonio airport, and we must have walked through the entire fucking airport uh, to get to the, the, the military part of it because, like, we we ended up on the the farthest point. I mean, we walked straight through that entire airport, it felt like. And I just remember the, the entire time we're walking through these, like, cement corridors, just I'm just thinking to myself, oh, my God, around one of these corners is going to be a military person screaming at me, and that's not going to stop for years. That was, it, I just, it was anxiety on a weird level, but, and that's, well, that's what happened. We turned a corner, and then two drill instructors with their fucking great-looking uniforms firmly pressed and you know boots shined and hats perfectly worn just stared at us and just said go to the table (laughs) and like it was the most direct like fucking you know command i mean of all time and so we all sat uh on the floor of this uh, uh part of the airport 
with like 40 or 50 other dudes who at the time we didn't know, but that was going to end up being our basic training class, or as they call it in the Air Force, a flight. Right? Maybe in the Army it's a unit or something. I don't know. Uh, but that was our flight, about the 40 or 50 of us, the 10 of us from Minneapolis, and there was people from California and Texas uh, were the major other two, and then there was people from you know, scattered. Uh, it was America. We were America, you know, and there was like our flight, and then there was like 10 other flights on the floor, and we're all waiting for buses to leave after everybody arrives. Now, as we're sitting on the floor waiting, a pretty blonde girl walks through the entrance by herself and she gets yelled at by one of these drill instructors, go to the table with your folder of paperwork. And she rolls her eyes. <laughs> and because she rolls her eyes at these drill instructors, they tear into her asshole for 10 minutes. Just screaming at her about her disrespect and shit. And... As a, a 20 year old ish dude, well, everybody around me was about that age, teenagers, early 20s. Uh, I, we all giggled, um, you know, because we had all probably had our hearts ripped out by some kind of, you know, small town girlfriend situation. And to see that, to see these drill instructors tear into this really sexy looking fucking bitch. Really felt good. I mean, it was like, oh, thank God. We're at a place where fucking women can get told no. Oh, thank God. Because <laughs> that doesn't exist. Not in America, in the world, for pretty girls. You can't tell them no. You can't tell them shit. You, fucking, you, you try to be firm with them, and they just fuck nine of your friends. I mean, that was my case. So, I was happy to see that girl get yelled at. Anyway, we get to this fucking... Uh, we get on the buses. We drive over to Lackland Air Force Base. We go through like a, a processing building where they x-ray our feet. I don't know why. Still, It was never explained why. Most things will never be explained why. You kind of have to figure out shit on your own. Uh, for instance, when we'd march around, we would march, and somebody at the front of the march would be holding what's called the guidon stick. I've, I've still yet to look up what that means online. I've never been curious enough. Uh, but for the entire time I was in basic training, I thought it was called a guide arm stick. And it was only afterwards, when I went to like my technical school after basic, that I had brought this up. And then people made fun of me for being such a moron. <laughs> Why would you think it's called a guide arm stick? Are you a dumb lawyer? Yes, I'm dumb. I don't know these things. What? Why? Why would you need me to explain that to you? Just so nothing gets explained to you. You just you, you just learn as you go, and some of the stuff uh, has a reason to it that uh, you know you'll it eventually comes around, and then. I'm reminded of the Alec Baldwin scene in Glengarry Glen Ross, where he's like, do you think I'm fucking with you? I am not fucking with you. That's the attitude your drill instructors are going to have with you if they're, if they're any good. And um, here's the thing. They are not fucking with you. Here's the other thing. They're completely fucking with you. <laughs> and it's up to you to figure that shit out. <laughs> You know, um, uh, and, um, <laughs> uh, Jesus, I, this is weird for me to think back through all this shit. I don't, I don't remember the series of events really or anything that really happened. 
Uh, it was all very fast. Now, I remember the very uh, minute we got off the bus at our dormitory, otherwise known as the squadron, um, s- some drill instructor, not ours, uh, walked onto the bus, and this was after we had been gone through the processing building and had our feet x-rayed, and we were given like a raincoat of some kind. Uh, this, this, we, we pull up to the squadron, this drill instructor steps onto the bus, stares at us and just says, you pieces of shit or whatever he said. I don't know if he swore or if they could, but you know, it sounds like a decent story. He was like, you pieces of shit have exactly 30 seconds to get off my bus and get on those four yellow fucking dots. And they're just, he's just screaming like a drill instructor. And, uh, I just remember I was in the back of the bus somehow and everybody around me started panicking really bad. (laughs) And I didn't because I, as a young rock and roller who spent every weekend of his uh, teenage years at the rock and roll club, listening to bands, I kind of had a a touch of the theater in me. I kind of understood show business a little bit. And that's what I knew what I was looking at. I realized this guy was not fucking with me, but at the same time, he was completely fucking with me. Like, this was... It's a bit of an act. And that's what I recognized it as. Now, it was maybe less than a day later before that level of thinking was gone completely and I became anxiety ridden (laughs) and stayed that way for the next uh, two months. Uh, But but my initial reaction to getting screamed at as a group uh, was like, oh, this is kind of funny. This is fun. Honestly, I enjoyed that just a bit. (laughs) But, But then as the days wore on and I'm getting yelled at personally, not as a group. Then it became personal, and then I freaked out. <laughs> and I joined everybody else in the great panic. And the way you learn to get through that panic is to pretty much do whatever the fuck everybody else is doing that you're supposed to do. And also know that you are going to be set up to fail purposefully. They're going to be fucking with you. They're going to tell you to do things knowing that you are going to absolutely fuck it up and so that they can yell at you, and that's purposeful for some reason. So there's no avoiding fucking up at all. Just whatever. Roll with it. <laughs> so here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's how the fucking up process works. The first person to fuck up, uh, will not be forgotten. In our our flight, uh, it was a kid from San Antonio. His name was O'Neill, and he ended up becoming a friend of mine. And he was uh, under twenty one. And so, after basic training, I bought him beer, and we slammed beers in an alleyway, and uh, you know, Wichita Falls, Texas. Uh, but <laughs> but back in the early days of the the basic training, we didn't know each other. Nobody knew each other, uh, and in the first couple of days, we all had to you know march halfway across Lackland Air Force Base to go take a piss test. And you know, every one of us went into that building, took a piss, and went out, and we were all done within twenty minutes. But O'Neill, for some reason, had piss anxiety or some kind of thing. And we stood outside for like an hour and a half to the point where everybody started like talking, like, who's still in there? Like, who's, do, do, 
People knew who O'Neill was right away. I didn't. I'm the last person to know these details of who's who, but we we started figuring out who the narc was. You know, we started figuring out who, you know, one of these objects isn't like the other. Must be O'Neill. That fucking guy. He can't piss in front of people. <laughs> so he got sniffed out. So I know he's the he's now the flight asshole. And for the next few days, people are like giving him an attitude like fucking O'Neill, fucking making us stand around for an hour and a half. <laughs> and that goes on. He's now the asshole uh, until the next guy fucks up. And once the next guy fucks up. All the heat's off O'Neill. He's no longer the asshole. No one really cares about him anymore. Uh, and it's now it goes on to the next guy that fucked up because he didn't do it, like his push-ups correctly or something. And then people shit on him because when somebody fucks up, it's like Full Metal Jacket. You know, when Gomer Pyle fucks up, everybody else gets punished. Blanket punishment. It's, it's not good. Not, <laughs> um, but that's the way it goes. Now. At some point, everybody will fuck up once and go through the, the motions and be the asshole. And at some point, throughout your basic training, <laughs> somebody is going to become the most giant asshole of all. Because they were the ones that fucked up the worst. And in my flight, guess who that was? <laughs> your Your podcasting friend. Yes, I was the, almost like the... In football, they have the most valuable player. I was the most valuable asshole of the flight, and here's how it happened. <laughs> so, in the dormitory, there, we had two bays with bunk beds. And, uh, and then on the other side of this hallway, we had a room that was called the day room. And that was where we would uh, sit on the floor almost like a classroom, and then the uh, there was like a desk in the front, and our, our drill instructors would talk to us, tell us what we were going to do that day or whatever. And um, at some point, halfway through, you know, the eight weeks that we were there, maybe week four or five, uh, we, st we started getting to the point where we could be left unsupervised for a little while because we had built up some trust. And so on one of those days, we're all sitting on the floor of this day room and, you know, sleep deprivation was such a thing that like you had to wake up dudes all the time, nudging them like, dude, don't fall asleep, you know. Uh, but I, at that point, I had, I had gotten such a reputation for being such an asshole that people were just ignoring me a lot. <laughs> and I just laid down on the floor of the day room. And apparently I fell asleep. Well, apparently I did. I did. And I knew this because the next thing I know, uh, somebody's grabbing me by the collar. And then my eyes wake up and I see somebody staring into my face. And uh, I know instinctively that I'm not supposed to be, like, touched or anything. So I immediately ball up my fist like I'm about to, like, throw a punch. And then the haze clears up and I look into this face who's staring at me and I realize that's not somebody I know. That's not even another dude. That's some strange female I've never seen. This can't be good. <laughs> and it wasn't. <laughs> so what ended up happening uh, was uh, uh, that... 
One half of my flight ended up doing calisthenics for about an hour, even though they were completely exhausted. The other half had to go do bitch duty and, like, scrub the floor of some kind of cement floor outside in the heat, which is very uncomfortable for them, and, like, mop it up or whatever. And that the whole and the whole time this was happening, I was being brought into the downstairs offices, into the in the bowels of this squadron, and I was getting screamed at by like two fucking sergeants who uh, weren't even drill sergeants. They were like the bosses of the drill sergeants. They were the managers of some kind of them. Uh, they were screaming at me to the point where they were like, "If you ever study psychology and you do that Stanford." Uh, prison experiment thing the way they really like fucked with people's minds um (laughs) i don't remember the details i would have to go back and watch that but i remember years later i was in college watching the stanford prison experiment details and i just i had it had dawned on me like oh that's what they were doing to me because that's what was happening these fucking drill instructor guys were basically convincing me that I was about to go to prison for the rest of my life. And then they had me like pantomime putting my hand to my face like a telephone and placing a last call to my mother to tell her that I'm going to prison forever and I'm never coming home and, and I'm crying. (laughs) I'm completely broken down. (laughs) And while that's happening, one of them leaves and then goes into his office. And then all of all I can hear is him saying, shut up, shut up, shut up. Because for some reason, he had intercommed up to like my dormitory where everybody was doing push-ups and sit-ups and yelling out loud, you know, the calisthenic things. And he, he told them to shut up so that they could all listen to me crying t- t- to my mother on the phone. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, it's nonsense. It sucks. It's, it's stupid, you know? And, uh, yeah, but I became the world's giantest asshole at the time if I hadn't been already. Another thing that happened. Now, I said, we, you, you always have to, like, wake people up because everybody's asleep. The worst place for falling asleep ended up being in these, uh, these other classrooms, not this day room I was talking about, but there were these other classroom areas where like you have the, like the high school desks with like the chair and the half table in front of you. And whenever we would get in that room and we get crammed in there and sit down, like we would, we all started falling asleep to the point where we were convinced that they were pumping in things through the air. Just doesn't make sense. In reality, it was just because we were sitting down and our, you know, our blood level was like relaxing or something, but at the time we didn't understand science <laughs> so we just sat down in these in these desks and all started falling asleep and then we started whispering to each other like they're putting things in the fucking the air it just, we shouldn't be falling asleep like this you know i just got a text what was that all right um anyway so the thing you would do is you would be sitting there in a chair and if you notice the guy next to you is falling asleep you would hit him with a, an elbow like right in his bicep and you'd be like, yo, man, wake up. And this happened all the time. So one day, I'm sitting next to a guy whose name is Hum. We only knew each other by last names. And so, uh, yeah, this dude's name was Hum. That's his last name. Come to find out in the final days of basic training that his first name was Mike. And 
I wish we... <laughs> I wish we had known that information way before that, because I couldn't believe it. Like, I, I said to him, I was like, dude, your name is Michael Hum? Your name is Mike Hum? Your name is Mike My Cum? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure this dude got teased his entire life for that. I mean, but, oh, but if we would have been armed with that information... I definitely would have been doing some harassing. <laughs> you know, I would have been making all the jokes like, I'm going to take the bottom bunk because the top bunk is for my cum. <laughs> I was going to wash my hands in the first sink, but I couldn't, so I had to use the second sink because the first sink was for my cum. <laughs> And on the day we left basic training, we all got on a bus heading out of Texas, stuck our hands out the window, and I waved goodbye next with my cum. <laughs> I could write a million of these jokes, and I have. <laughs> I'm going to write some more. I have to. It's just too funny of a story for me to give up. Even I'm, I've been gone for almost over 10 years, and it's still funny to me. It's still funny to me. Anyway, <laughs> the other thing about my cum... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to spoil it. Here's here's how it went. We're sitting in this classroom, and I look over, and Hum is doing the standard I'm falling asleep thing. Basically, his head is nodding forward. His eyes are squinting. He looks like he's about to nod out. So I elbow him in the bicep, and I'm like, yo, man, wake up. And then he flips, he whips his head to me, and he's like, well, dude, I wasn't sleeping. And I was like, are you sure? He's like, no, dude. I'm just Asian. <laughs> uh, I felt like a piece of shit. I mean, he looked like he was sleeping, but no, dude, I'm just Asian is what he says to me. And that is so funny that I he had to know how funny of a thing that was. Like, I'm only repeating it because that dude said it because he's that funny. <sighs> <laughs> I don't know. Basic training was fucked up all the time. Uh, we had, uh, uh, towards the very end, maybe even the last week, we started doing stupid shit, as you do, because we started getting unsupervised more and more. And so we, we started pooling together money. <laughs> and then we started asking around, all right, who wants this 40 bucks? Put Bengay on your balls. And so we had a couple of takers. So what we did is we all went into the shower area, into the drying area, which was this square cement room with two benches on the sides, and we all stood around in a circle, and then the dude in the middle who was trying to get this 40 bucks would be completely naked, but only wearing a gas mask that, you know, your issued, you know, chemical warfare mask, <laughs> and he would stand there, I think it was Ben Gay, I don't know. Uh, but he would put this shit on his balls, and it would just burn. And then he would just be standing there w under his gas mask going, Oh, shit, fuck! And we're all in a circle pointing and laughing like it's an 80s movie, and we're bullies. Who like, ha, 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 your balls burn. Ha, 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 ball boy, burning balls, ha. And we're all laughing. Somebody ended up getting that money. Now, one dude didn't get the money, but he tried his darndest. <laughs> and it was this little dude, and uh, 
Curitan was the name, and he he put the Bengay on his balls, and he immediately freaked the fuck out. Like, he couldn't take it. He just was like, oh my god! And then he, like, instead of standing in that harassment circle, he ended up, like, barging through the crowd, and then he ran over to, like, the sink area, because he was gonna, like, get some water and wash himself off. But he was still trying to win that money, so he didn't do that immediately. He didn't wash himself down immediately. Instead, he put two hands on the sink and just started almost crying into the sink. He was just like, ah, 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 ah. And we're all, like, now we're just on the floor laughing, dying, because it's this is way funnier than everybody else who failed, who had tried to take it like a man. <laughs> like, this, this dude was just, he was at the sink... <laughs> just crying almost and then he flips his head around like he's still like holding on to the sink but then he flips his head around and becomes a complete demon <laughs> he turns his head and his voice changes from ah ah whoosh, somebody give me a towel <laughs> It was the oddest, it was an exorcism. The whole fucking thing was an exorcism. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, but yeah, basic training was retarded. I was, um, I was the latrine queen. That was my job. And in fact, I ended up volunteering for it because I'm that dumb. Because about a week into the basic training... We uh, we were told that we were making a mess of the bathroom, and so that's why, f for out of my complete dumbness, I raised my hand and I said, "Uh, ma'am," gave my reporting statement. Uh, I I've been a janitor before, and then she just my drill instructor looked at me and she's like, "You're my latrine queen, then." And I was like, "Oh fuck!" And then everybody looked at me like I'm an idiot because they're I'm an idiot. Um, and so I spent a lot of time in the bathrooms. Now, that's not interesting in itself, but here's the one thing that's interesting. At one week, we got put on kitchen duty at some other squadron, and we were actually at the uh, the one squadron where they put the sick kids who are like, you know, they can't throw them out of basic, but they can't go on with their training because they they fucked up or they broke a hip or something. So, very low workload, a lot of downtime. <laughs> and so, uh, between like lunch and dinner whenever there was like an hour and we didn't have shit to do i went into the bathrooms to jerk off <laughs> again i'm jerking off at work this is, see how this circle is complete now this is how all my stories go <laughs> and here's the thing this is about halfway through basic training i hadn't jerked off at all i hadn't even taken a shit the first week i was there because there was such a shock to the system i didn't know when i could or should take a shit i had to figure that out for myself uh but it was around weeks three and four guys started talking about like they go jerk off in my bathroom at night and i started getting pissed like why are you guys jerking off in my bathroom and they're like shut up bitch go clean my fucking jizz or whatever that's harassment to say oh uh, yeah shut up app i get it i got five minutes so anyway so what i did uh while i was at this other squadron i decided in my downtime i was gonna go jerk off in their bathroom and oh was it a good one i mean fuck don't touch your dick for four weeks and get in good shape <laughs> and, then, and then have a jerk i'm telling you it feels great but 
I got so into it that I fucking ripped the skin on my dick and I was my dick was bleeding all over the floor. This is not exaggeration time. I'm not telling you a joke here. This is life. <laughs> and then as literally seconds after I realized my dick is bleeding over the floor, I, there's a voice on the intercom from my female drill sergeant yelling, all trainees need to report back to the kitchen now. <laughs> I was like, I gotta go back and do kitchen duty with a bloody dick. So, moral of the story was, luckily I had already learned how to tie a tourniquet. <laughs> so, I grabbed a handful of toilet paper and tourniqueted up my bloody dick and went back to work. <laughs> oh, it was, oh God, it was atrocious. Or as my drill instructor would say, atrocious. Because she was a hilarious... A uh, black woman from, I think, Tennessee. I had two drill instructors. It was her, and she was the ultimate drill instructor. Loved her. Loved her. Uh, because she had done drill instructing for, like, eight years. Like, she had done it for four years, went back to her other job, and then decided she was going to do another four years of it. And by the time we went to basic training, she was at, like, the end of her eight years. She was a fucking... uh uh perfect for this job i just wonderful to the point where even the other drill instructors were afraid of her kind of like she was like our mafia like she protected us <laughs> you know but she was so good at her job <laughs> and she was also training in another drill instructor who was the complete opposite this guy was on maybe his like second fucking class of basic training and he was this tall white guy from Texas. Look, kind of looked like uh, uh, remember uh, the guy from Night Court, the uh, the the bailiff. Um, I don't remember the name, but that the bald guy. It kind of looked like that. We all we all used to say this dude kind of looks like Stone Cold Steve Austin because he's from Texas, and then he would always correct us, be like, "No, I'm not Goldberg," or whatever. And he was, you know. He hadn't gotten to the point yet where he was it's super scary, so we kind of we kind of goofed with him a bit. <laughs> and one of the greatest things that happened uh, was uh, on graduation day, we were running like through Lackland Air Force Base as a you know as a fucking a graduating class, and he was he was running beside us, and we're running through these like streets that are cut off from regular traffic, and they're cut off by these giant flower pots. Like, like three, four, five fucking feet across. I mean, they're up to like waist high and they got like a flower, floral design in the center of them. Like, you know, it's just nice looking shit. Uh, <laughs> but we're all running in our unit, in our four, you know, lines or elements, whatever they're called. And he was running beside us yelling to Jody. He's like, you know. And this dude, this drill instructor of ours, decides. In all of his ultimate wisdom, he decides that he's going to do the backwards run. So instead of running beside us, he spins around and he's running backwards while he's yelling all these chants. And I could just see coming up from behind him, here come the flower pots. And I didn't know if he was going to get out of the way or if this was going to get exciting. <laughs> So I just remember watching. He's just running backwards. Da, 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 da. And the back of his knee hits a flower, flower pot. And he goes and does a tumble like an acrobat. He does like a, like a complete black, a backflip. <laughs> I couldn't help but we all laughed. We all laughed because it was so funny. Moral of that story is, is that 
because he was a new drill instructor, he was supposed to get a nickname decided by one of his first flights. And so somebody decided that we were going to give him the nickname (laughs) Flower Pot. And so that ended up going on the back of his drill instructor hat. He he was there for another four years, and his hat said Flower Pot. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know if it was uh, the best time of my life, but it was certainly memorable for a couple of reasons. I'm going to go jerk off. (laughs) 